The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. I would like to be able to read the whole of the latter part of Genesis 2 and some uh, sections of Genesis 1 by way of background to our text this morning, but we don't have time uh, for that, so I'd ask you to call to mind as much as you can of those verses that precede. Uh, They form essential and enlightening and enriching background uh, to the content of this remarkable chapter, Genesis chapter 3. We are going to concentrate this morning on verse 6, Genesis 3, verse 6, and I read the first six verses. Let us hear the word of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. May God bless to us his word. Well, with that sixth verse, Uh, we come to the conclusion of the opening part of this chapter insofar as the history that it records uh, is concerned. Uh, That part of the narrative that records how evil came into the world and uh, affected mankind. It came by sin. That's what these verses tell us. That's how it came. Evil came into the world by sin. And we call this chapter the account of the fall for a very good reason. Something preceded it that was very good and something very bad followed upon it. So bad that it seems impossible to many that things could ever have been any different. And things that are so difficult to come to terms with that make us aware of our frailty in attempting to deal with evil without facing up to the reality of sin. Evil came into the world by sin. Evil cannot be dealt with without sin being faced and addressed. And God deals with evil by triumphing over sin. Never attempt to deal or to think about addressing evil, except in terms of its connection with sin. Now, how then did it all come about? 
Well, the first thing to say is that it came about by a human act. A human act. It was neither divine nor was it satanic. Sure, Satan had a part in it, unlike God. And he is blamed later on in the narrative when God holds court and investigates and adjudicates. But he was not the one who was guilty of this sin. Adam and Eve came to sin not as a result of force, superior force being exerted upon them, but by their own act. And in the case of Eve, we are told that it was by fraud, not by force. So Adam and Eve had no one to blame except themselves. Though as you know from the succeeding narrative, they tried to do so. They cited God, Adam did, and cited Satan, Eve did, but unsuccessfully. Sin is laid at their door to their account by God. And that is still the same. And it will be on the day of judgment. Sin comes from the heart. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, covetousness, and evil eye, murder, thefts, lasciviousness, deceit, and on and on it goes. From within, not from without. It's not social deprivation. It's not atmospheric pollution. No one sins against his or her will. The will of each individual executes what that person thinks and wants. So it was a human act. But as the account before us indicates, it was made up of separate acts. The acts of Eve and Adam in that order, separated in point of time, though not by that much, but separated in point of time from each other. However, the same nature, the same result of the act committed. And both, as you know, are referred to separately and distinctly in the New Testament. It was Eve who was seduced or deceived, not Adam, we are told, but it was Adam's transgression, not Eve's, that is highlighted and emphasized in the New Testament. That's something to think about, isn't it? In the light of this account, that's what we'll try to do for a little while. Let's begin here. Why, from the chronological point of view, uh, was Eve guilty of sin before Adam? Well, of course, Eve was approached by Satan. Adam was not. What does that show? There are two main answers that can be suggested or given, and there's no need to choose between them. Both are perfectly true. The first is, of course, that Satan was taking advantage of Eve. She had not been addressed by God as Adam had. In chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, those verses that um, express God's prohibition and put Adam on probation, 
those words were addressed to Adam. Eve therefore heard them secondhand from Adam. She did not hear those words from God himself directly. And so it's easier conceivably to insert the thin edge of a wedge at that point rather than to make a frontal assault on Adam. And it worked, though it shouldn't have done so. So Satan was taking advantage of Eve, but also Satan was disturbing the divine order, wasn't he? Adam was created first. Headship was given to him. He had informed Eve of what God had said to him. But Satan's approach to Eve puts her in Adam's position de facto. And he doesn't ignore Adam because this speaking serpent says, has God said you, sh- you shall not eat? Plural, not singular. And so he encourages her to determine the matter proposed herself without reference to Adam. And you know that later on in the narrative, when the Lord intervenes, he reverses that whole order. Deals with Adam first, not with Eve. So Satan was taking advantage of Eve and disturbing the divine order as he always has to attempt to do. That's his nature. That's what happened in the heavenlies. He sought to upset things in the heavenlies, put himself in God's place, and now he's doing something similar here on the earth. But there's something else, I think, to note. Satan, in addressing Eve, was really aiming at Adam. In addressing Eve, he was really aiming at Adam. We've noted that the second person plural is used, in his address to Eve. Just as he had a purpose in approaching Eve first to get her to sin, so he did this in order to weaken Adam's defenses. He wasn't ignoring Adam in focusing on Eve. Now just think of the situation. We're told that Adam was with Eve when this took place. What was Eve to Adam? She was his alter ego, his other self. She was his complement, not supplement, not an addition which could see, which conceivably could be dispensed with without any injury or without any loss, but she was his complement. The end of chapter 2 records the creation of Eve, doesn't it? Everything is good, and yet we hear these strange words. It is not good for man to be alone. How can we understand that expression, not good, when made in the image and likeness of God? Is there not here some indication of the fact that complete and competent and perfect that Adam was 
made in the image of God, there is an indication that the plurality of the Trinity is somehow attested in the fact that Adam needs another. That he isn't entirely self-sufficient. It's not good for him to be alone. Then we read how no companion was found for him among all the animate creatures. And God proceeded to provide that complement for him. Out of him, Adam is put to sleep. This is God's activity. He has no part in it at all. And out of his own body, God makes Eve. And Adam wakes up, and there is the one, the like of whom he had been unable to find in the rest of creation. And he broke forth into poetry. And he sang a song. And he gave her a name. And the name that he gave her was indicative of the fact that he recognized, here is, here is me. No, not me. Here's someone else, but someone like me. Woman, man, Isha, Ish. And God married them. One old Puritan puts it like this, that Eve was made not out of Adam's head to rule him, nor out of his foot to be trodden on by him, but out of his side to be near his heart. So, who better to influence Adam than Eve? Those of you who are married, help each other not to sin. Help each other with the grace of life. Because this first sin, what kind of sin was it? Well, we call it a sin of pride and so on and so forth. It was a blow against marriage as well. He was really aiming at Adam. He doesn't say a word to Adam in the narrative, does he? He seems to be only concerned to get Eve to sin. But no, because of the unity between them, as Adam looks at what Eve now sees, as Satan weaves a web around that tree, we'll look at that verse a bit later, when the real eye-opener comes. Verse 7. He now is torn Who is he going to stand with? Who is he going to say? He should have broken in before. He was a sleeping partner of a different kind, wasn't he, in the opening verses of Genesis 3? And you know what he did. He, she took, she at, he, she gave, he took, he at. It was an act of willing preference on the part of Adam 
to put his wife over God. God forbid we ever have to make a choice like that. But that's what it was. Because God says later on, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife. How important Christian families are. So, Satan was really aiming at Eve. Really aiming at Adam in approaching Eve. Evil came into the world by a human act of sin. That human act was made up of several acts by these two individuals. But it culminated in the sin of Adam. That's what the New Testament tells us. And who was it who sinned first? And when did each sin first? There's a mystery here. Evil is a mystery. You and I can't unravel the tangled web of sin. When Eve misquoted the word of God, she sinned. When she looked at the tree with new eyes, she sinned. Before ever she took of the tree, she sinned. And Adam, in remaining silent, sinned. And yet, focus is placed upon the fact that the transgression was when he took a net. Is that the New Testament imposing something on the Old Testament that's alien to it. No, it isn't. For this reason. Why? Why do you think the New Testament places such emphasis on Adam's sin when it was Eve that sinned first and led him to sin? Here's the reason. She could only sin as a helpmeet. He sinned as a head. He sinned as God's king. He sinned as God's priest. He'd been told as if there were no Eve. In the singular, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. He was there in the garden to tend it as a king, to guard it as a priest. And here is the king priest defiling God's palace and his temple. That's why the New Testament focuses on Adam's sin, because it was the sin of the head of humanity. The sin of the one whose sin would be transmitted, in whose sin all sinned. And that's why a little child, as Isaiah says, no, a little boy child had to come to lead, no, not just lead, to rule, to govern. Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, he's the one through whom all who believe in him become kings and priests to God again.
Let us pray. Give thee thanks, O Lord our God, thou hast accomplished such salvation, recovery, restoration for those who are lost and those who are enslaved. And we pray that we may ever abide close to thy Son in whom and through whom all the wiles of the devil can and will be overcome. Hear us for his sake. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.